Welcome to Scholars and Sense. It's the podcast that takes a deep dive into the issues of the day. We do so with thoughtful conversation, and we rise above the noise and talking points. With the help of my colleagues, we get to the heart of the matter. I'm Bill Bennett, alongside my co-hosts, Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson. Conrad, Victor, let's jump in. Gentlemen, uh, a lot going on uh, other than Thanksgiving and Christmas. They're important themselves, of course, but a lot going on. I was listening this morning uh, to arguments in Supreme Court uh, on the Mississippi case. Whatever you want to say about this, I'd love to hear, but I'd like to ask you your view of the politics of this. I heard a Democrat senator say this morning, if they in any way touch Roe v. Wade and just say, you'll return this to the states, there will be a revolution, uh, and this could happen in June, July. Could uh, she predicted the senator uh, would have dramatic effect on the elections of twenty twenty two? Any thoughts on this? I think that's overstated. I mean, my impression is that the real problem with Roe v. Wade is it isn't the question of a woman's right to her body beyond the point where the unborn assume the rights of people. So that's the issue that has to be determined. When the unborn are deemed to be people with the rights of people, that is the priority right to be protected. And I I think the court may judge that question, or more likely, they will say that's up to the states to judge. Mm -hmm. And only, you know, an absurd adjudication of that question would be fit to come back to the Supreme Court to be reviewed. But uh, maybe I'm being simplistic, but I've thought for many years that's where it was going to go. I think if... The proper solution is to leave it up to the states. And the yeah. only political downside that I could see, if it's a downside at all, it's not a downside, is that maybe one or two percent of the liberal people, say from the Bay Area and places like that, that go to Tennessee and Texas and Austin for tax-free status may say, not in my name, I'm not going to go there because they you know, banned abortion. But it'll be a very small number because usually they put their own financial well-being and, and we're having a above any ideological concern. And we're having a, a mass flight, especially the last year or two from California, more than usual. Yeah. And they're all going to places where if this were to pass, abortion would probably be in, in most cases outlawed. And I don't think yeah. it'll affect them too much. So they'll yell and scream, but when you leave it up to the states, then the battle is decentralized and diluted all over the United States. And, and don't you feel, Victor, the generally the battle between there are bodies will do what we want within them as if it was uh, you know uh, a mundane thing like uh, repairing a, a ingrown toenail or something and and the on the other side look these unborn children uh, you know at, at x months or something they're undoubtedly living children just not not yet born and their rights prevail over the somewhat narcissistic preoccupation of women who think they can control absolutely everything that goes inside goes on inside themselves yeah i think you're right about that i I think yeah the part the party of science doesn't want to look at science they they always relied on that fallback argument that if a fetus is not viable outside the womb then it's not a human being and that's nature, scientific fact. But when science came along and said, actually, these are viable people inside the womb. And with the help of science, we can enhance their ability to survive outside the womb. And we push that date back further and further back. In theory, the left didn't know what to say about it because they knew that when they started to do fifth month, maybe even fourth month, pretty soon abortions, that that fetus 
It wasn't a fetus. It was a living being. It could survive outside the womb. And given science, who knows where it's going to push it all back. But it wouldn't be able to push anything back if it wasn't scientifically a fact that that that's a human being at conception. These are sophisticated answers to my question, which was not a sophisticated question. Let me ask it again. Uh, I mean, I think what you guys are saying is very smart. I've long believed the only solution to this question uh, is to leave it to the states. We're just not going to get people to agree. And this is the only viable political solution. But the prediction I heard, I just want you to comment on this. If they touch Roe v. Wade, if they change it, the senator, uh, Democrat senator said there'll be a revolution. It will be. It will change the Republicans' opportunities for the worse in 2022. Uh, do you agree with that or not? I think it depends how the decision's written. I think there's a way to write the decision we've all spoken of is likely in a way that doesn't give them ammunition to achieve such a, a, a radical complaint, as your informant said. Let me just add, there are several polls out saying, here's this case, here's Roe v. Wade, uh, change it or let it be. And they're almost all of them, 65 to 70 percent say let it be. Again, I think it all depends okay. how the it's written. Yeah. If it's written I, diplomatically, it, it, it would not be so provocative. I, yeah, especially if it was written that the court doesn't take a position necessarily on the on the morality of it, although it, it doesn't have to say that, but it's a constitutional question. This should have never been a federal matter in the first place, and it belongs yep. to the states. Okay. Let's get into some other things. Uh, I, was, I noticed that my neighbor lives about 100 yards away, Jerome Powell, uh, of the Fed, said that the inflation, well, inflation turns out, he says, not to be temporary. It's going to be with us for a long time. Uh, you agree? Uh, and what does that mean uh, politically or anything else? I agree with that. And, and um, I, I don't think it's good news for the administration. I mean, the, it, it, it seems to me that the traditional ways to get rid of it are either sort of the Paul Volcker thing. You've raised interest rates and bring in a backbreaking recession and that, that breaks inflation. But we can't, we just can't do that now. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've just expanded the money supply too far. Uh, and uh, and the alternative is a sort of modified Reaganomics, where you increase supply and demand, uh, but you you try and do it in a way that the supply covers the demand and the level of inflation declines. And that can be done. Well, I have my doubts that these people could do it, and I've never heard anything from Janet Yellen to indicate that she has any idea how to do that. That was one of their many lies that inflation was only temporary. They knew it was not. Anytime you vastly increase the monetary supply and then you have uh, supply chain problems and you discourage people to produce by threats of taxes and more regulation, you discourage energy, cancel pipelines, and then you have this enormous increased demand naturally coming out of COVID, first lockdown. So everybody knew there were going to be inflation. And then the second question was, is it really only 5 to 7% per annum when you look at houses, cars? food, um, shelter, and uh, gas. So when you get look at fuel and housing and food and transportation, which is the stuff of life, it may be 15%. And that's so they, yeah. they don't have it. What's their choices in Bill and Conrad? I think their only choices are what they're doing because we've got a 30 tri- almost a $30 trillion debt looming. And they can't really... If you raise interest rates up to what would stop inflation, seven, eight, nine percent, I don't know how they're going to serve that debt uh, without making massive cuts in the Pentagon or the social programs or Social Security. So the other alternative is 
to basically say, oh, it's just a matter of high class people. I think that's what was retreated by uh, the Biden administration or, oh, you know, it's just a matter of high end stuff. Or you can say that modern monetary theory has shown that the more money you print really creates prosperity. But the subtext of all of those excuses are we're going to keep interest rates low. We're going to expand the money supply. We're going to spend money and we're going to hope that this whatever happens um, with an inflation stagflation reaction will happen after the midterms or maybe even after Biden's first term. And they're going to keep passing it on to the next person. Music but, but, but the whole thing is a scam because. They, yeah, it is. It is. Absolutely. Huge deficits. Not the way, you know, President Eisenhower, or President Johnson or Nixon did. They, they, they don't actually go to the financial markets and figure out what interest rate is going to sell these bonds. They sell what they can at the, at the coupon they can afford. And the rest they scoop up and pay for them with notes issued by a subsidiary, and and, and you know it's it's a shell game. Well, and if is, you're private I, sector, it wouldn't be legal. I think it's even worse than that. I think for the vast majority of middle America that does not know much, of, I know that they have say fifty percent of America's investment in the stock market, but that's done through financial uh, pension funds and stuff. I'm talking about the average household that has twenty, a hundred thousand dollars, or ten thousand in the bank. You're transferring mass amounts of money from people who save and follow the rules and are getting zero interest while they're losing 7% a year to people who were borrowing yeah. money. And that's what it is. I mean, yeah. you, you, you can go in and buy a car right now still for 1% interest, uh, uh, special programs, even though the price is going sky high. So what this low interest has done is mask the inflation. So everybody says, well, I don't really mind buying an $80,000 pickup because a $50,000 pickup used to be 5% interest. Now this thing is 1%. So who cares what the price is? But the price is there. It's real. And there's going to be a reckoning because they won't have to. I think you're setting it up for something like 2008. But this is also true of housing. I've been people tell me, but you know, prices how price of houses going up. But interest rates so low, people don't feel the pain, the immediate I mean, pain. Not yet. Not yet. But I didn't understand what one of you said, I think Victor, that they hope this will pa- just, just wait it out and hope it pass it on to the next guy. But it's already there. It's already hitting us, right? At the bump. Yeah, it's there, but the cure now is uh probably going to be worse than the disease. And and part of the cure recommended by the Biden administration is build back better this two or whatever, three or four trillion dollar idea they have, which I don't think is going to pass. No, I mean, they have some. I mean, there's a lot of economists who think, well, it's a new ball game because productivity is increasing because of technology and all that. But Conrad's right. Eventually, someone somewhere, sometime, somehow is going to have to do something really drastic, and that is to restrict the money supply and increase interest rates and cut spending. And when that happens, you're going to have a recession or maybe worse. And whoever is on that person's, whoever is on watch at that time is going to be blamed. And they hope maybe they can get through the midterms or maybe they can get through Biden's first term or maybe they can just keep going down the road. And then somebody... If you get a Republican that comes in there and says, you know, this is unsustainable, we're spending like drunk, I'll stop it, I'll, I promise. Well, the first thing that they will do is have a 30% <laughs> approval rating when they try to stop it. All right, so there, they won't, there won't be a reckoning with the Biden administration, but there will be, su- there will be suffering because it started yeah. already. 
unless right. it gets unless it gets hyper and not by hyper i mean the consumer price index at 9 9 to 10 and a real inflation rate probably of 13 or 14 and i think we're getting there i think it's really it's, it was it's october i think was Man. 6 over 6 and when Man. you look at how housing and and you know, wow at $5 a gallon you only get 20 gallons in your car and a lot of these cars have 25 gallons so you go to the yeah. sewer station and they only sell $100 and you talk to people and they say, can you believe it? I'm filling up my car and I didn't even fill it up and I gave them a hundred bucks. But yeah, so, yeah. And in North Carolina, where we spend a lot of time, the dollar stores are considering whether they have to change their name to the dollar and a half stores. Yeah, same here. I was just yeah. going to say the economics is basically half grade three arithmetic and half psychology. And I don't think these people can manage the psychology. It, it takes a sort of FDR fireside chat or, the speech Mr. Nixon gave in the summer of yeah. 71 when he changed the status of gold. You have to sit there and talk to the country and sound like you know what you're doing and and assure them. And I, I don't I don't think that I mean, actually, to be fair, your neighbor, Mr. Powell, might be capable of it, uh, Bill. But I don't think uh, Janet Yellen can whenever I've seen her. And she she's pretty scary in monetary terms. Well, then you're yeah. stuck with Biden, who's cognitively challenged or Kamala Harris, who's incoherent. When she All right. All right, let's talk about that, because this I this I don't get, guys. Please explain this to me. First of all, will Biden run in 2024? OK, can't possibly run. He won't make no. it until 2024, in my view. A, B, it? it's Kamala versus Buttigieg. Why is it Pete Buttigieg and Kamala? Is that the best they've got? I mean, is this yes. <laughs> really? I I would have thought of what else do they have? Who else do they have? Joe Manchin, you know, Joe Manchin, he wouldn't get one vote in any state other than a a, a red West Virginia. Yeah, come on, Bill. Um, and the fact is that Pete Buttigieg was not gay and Kamala Harris was not half African American, neither one of them would be there, and they know that. They have some competent governors and senators, they could get one. Yeah, give me a name. Well, Sherrod Brown. Okay. <laughs> he's pretty hard left. Yeah. But he's better than what they've got, isn't he? <laughs> yes. Yes. But I mean, I, 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 am I right on the first thing? He's not going to make it to 24, is he? No, but he has to say that. They all say that. Yeah. Oh, look, of course. No, he can't be announced. So I don't blame him for saying he is, but he can't be serious. Uh, is he going to have a press conference, an open press conference? Mm-hmm. You know, open no. to all questions. You no. mean every, no. the next four years? No, it's okay. geometric. It's geometric, Bill. We talked about that earlier. I think about a few months ago, we said that this was not arithmetic decline, but geometric. And it's. I think we were right. If you look at him now, I don't think he could get on a debate stage and debate Donald Trump for two hours like he did before. And he probably rested for a day then and had some type of, I don't know, enhanced cognitive drugs such as they are that exist. But I don't think he could do it today. Yeah. Vaccines and the courts, uh, what do you think? Uh, will these holdings uh, stand? Uh, a couple of judges have said, can't do that, can't force vaccination. Government can't, private company can't. Yeah, I, I think I think if you just looked at it empirically and took away all of the hysteria and tragedy of the last two years and said, what is the, the actual data? Scott Atlas is pretty clear on that, of people right. who are under 60 that die from it or get seriously ill. Plus with all of these pills coming out and all of these therapeutics and the idea that 
you can force somebody to take a vaccination. It, it, the argument starting to get close to the idea, well, why not every vaccination? Why not? You know, we don't even, I don't think we, we don't make people take whooping cough. We don't make people take flu shots. Right. And I think if we continue to get pretty well, maybe the death rate for all people will be like a flu year of 30 to 60,000. Then what do you do? You say, well, we all have to have flu shots. I think it's more likely that they're going to expand this concept and go on to other things like flu shots than to restrict it. I mean, not the courts, yeah. but, but the, the administration. Left. Panic and coercion is a big part of their program, right? Yeah, it is. Gener generate panic and then coerce people. Yeah. And, it, but, and, and you're doing you're doing it for their own good. That's how you but justify. Isn't there going to be a, a huge revulsion on on the two points the uh, the frog marching in of five year old children to be jabbed, and secondly yeah. the, the caregivers, frontline people who's, who who uh, uh, you know who say I don't want to be vaccinated, and then and then they're penalized and laid off and so on. Isn't that just so insane? It's going to blow the whole thing up. Yeah, it is. And the big, the weakness in the whole idea is that unlike many places in Europe, they're rational and do give people credit for antibody levels, even though that's kind of inexact. But if you have had COVID, we know now that from three to six months, you're going to probably be immune and perhaps your immunity is going to be as good or better than some of the vaccinations. And the idea that that doesn't count at all and is of no value, that really weakens the argument uh, that they're really trying to protect people. Because if you said right now to the military or you said to uh, federal workers, if you can just get an antibody test, and even though they're sort of inexact, if you have over 500 antibodies per milliliter, then we're not, or maybe not even that high, whatever, just pick a number, you're probably going to be okay and we don't have to be vaccinated right now. It would be maybe a bureaucratic uh, challenge, but boy, it would be a lot better than mandating. A lot of people have, I think we're forgetting that a lot of people have had COVID and they don't want to be vaccinated because they're afraid either that the vaccination is not going to work as well or that with the antibodies they have, they'll get more antibodies, they'll get a greater reaction. So uh, I don't know why we don't do that. Well, New York is panicking. The governor of New York is panicking, but I, I don't think, I don't think that'll spread. I don't think that's going to be the case in most places and people have really just had it i think on that I, I don't think there's a disposition toward that even even most of the blue state governor's situations we can see the argument yeah, because nobody remembers your name yeah i think the argument was much more cogent when they said that take the moderna you have 96 percent protection and the pfizer 95 and there was no breakthrough uh, cases before delta so Biden was really sort of demagoguing that issue. He said, you know, I don't believe in mandates because, you know, i.e. this thing is 96 and people will see the logic of it. And he took he claimed credit for the vaccinations. He said there was no vaccinations before he came in. He said he was going to beat the virus by July. It was all predicated on no Delta virus. Then the Delta virus came and all of a sudden he's had more people die in his watch than Trump did. But I think the argument now to mandate a vaccine that may stop you from dying, but there's no guarantee you won't be ill is a lot weaker. And maybe, maybe if they have a new vaccine, that's much more effective, but a lot of people have had both of the Moderna and Pfizer and they got COVID. And yeah. I mean, one of the things I want to, you know, keep saying, and I've, I've tried, and I think I have good standing for this because I'm in my seventies is, you know, the age at which people die from COVID 
And uh, the, the reason I'm talking about that is because I was, I've been asked about, as a form, former drug czar, about the opioid deaths. You know, we now hit 100,000 last year. About 75% of that was uh, involved fentanyl. Uh, average age of death there, we don't know exactly, but it's somewhere between 35 and 45. Average age of death in COVID, last time I looked, was 78. Um, every life is precious. I know, I know, I know. But, uh, you know, when you take away half of a person's life or they take away their own half life, it seems to me a worse uh, a worse thing. But no attention to that one. You know, who's the drugs are? Any idea who it is? Last two drugs ours? I have no idea. Yeah, no idea at all. Walensky, whatever her name is. What's that? Walensky, was that her? No, no, Walensky is, you know, is, 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 uh, uh, she's the NIDC. CDC. No, CDC uh, uh, in Atlanta, you know. Um, she's the most charming advocate they've got. She's a very gracious person and quite persuasive. I, I don't think the country wants to hear from Fauci and the rest of them anymore. Yeah, is Fauci credibility going down? Or, I, I yeah, I, I think it's think? Rand Paul has really done a number on him, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and exposed. And now when he was on in that interview and he basically is a partisan and talked about January 6th and he's he is science. Uh I, I don't yeah, think I, am I, I just finished the advanced copy of Scott Atlas's A Plague Upon Our House. That is I all I would urge everybody to read that book. Uh, it is a okay. most de- devastating takedown of Burke's and Fauci you could possibly imagine. I just ordered the Berenson book, you know, Berenson. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The New York Times guy, Pandemia, I think it's called. Again, he's, did, uh, did Fauci step too far now that we find out that he was experimenting with beagle puppies? Yeah, I mean, and I think he lied about his role in channeling them. He lied about his role about ch- channeling the money through Echo Health to the lab, and then he lied about the impossibility of gain-of-function research and the human agency involved, and he was still insisting it was a natural, and now each week or each month, he, he backs off, a, yeah, he backs off a little bit, he was wrong about the mask, he was wrong about the travel bans, he swore we wouldn't need a mandate, everything he said, and he has no humility, so he never says, yes, I, yeah. I was wrong about that, but science changes instead he says i am science and uh yeah the puppy i I don't underestimate the puppy thing you know uh americans i i boy i i I made a big mistake when the you know the terrible floods in new orleans and i remember i was on the radio and i was talking about you know they were rescuing and in one situation they they held off going to a house a rooftop to rescue some people to take Instead, they rescued a dog or two. I said, what are they doing rescuing dogs to get the people first? I never got such a strong reaction from the yeah, audience. Most, most people like dogs more than people, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's well, remember Alan, Alan right Simpson in Wyoming, he, he said, you know, we got more horses than people in Wyoming. And people ask why, and I say, we prefer them. Uh, you know, <laughs> okay. Fair don't, enough. Don't they ignore the cat lovers. They, they, they're 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 a hidden section of the population. I I don't even want to talk about that. I'm just <laughs> not talking about cats. I'm sorry. There's places I go. I want to I want to ask each of you. I've been sort of running this discussion with my topics, but 
what else should we talk about? You both write and write well and smart about all sorts of things. What do we, what am I missing? What what should we be talking about, worrying about, thinking about, uh, I, and, I, uh, and discussing? I think the Billy Elephant in the Room is the. I think that BLM and the left kind of use that term yeah. to jump jump the shark because uh, yeah. when you yeah. fabricated white on white violence and a clear case of self defense into an indictment of America for racism as BLM did and got out and the left did. And then you, two days later, a career black felon with a history of anti-Semitic and anti-white hatred yeah. and, and calls for violence gets into a car and kills six people, injure 62 at a Christmas parade. Yeah. And the left, uh, first of all, says that he was took a wrong turn or he was fleeing from an altercation yeah. and yeah. then is left with nothing more than the SUV did it as if it's an autopiloted car. Right. You, right. you can't you can't go beyond that absurdity. And I think a lot of people are looking at BLM now and they're saying, you know, this is crazy. And if you look at that poll, the daily cost just did with Civitas, a majority, a, a, a plurality of Americans no longer approve of BLM. Yeah, I noticed of in, that. Of independent voters, it's almost a majority of Americans. So they, they've lost 20 or 30 points. And you look at the founders, Miss Quellars with their fourth home and yeah, sure. their security fence in Topaga Canyon. You look at Mr. Kendi with his... Zoom fees. So I think the whole movement is sort of bankrupt now. We had a Black Lives Matter regional person, Mr. Mays, who said that he was he was gleeful after Waukesha and said this was the beginning of the revolution. The revolution. Yeah, this may be the beginning of the revolution. And then we had that minor Democratic official who became kind of iconic when she got on there and said this is karma. The children should may have been karma for Rittenhouse. So these people are crazy. And uh, I think, I think people are really tired of it. We saw that in Virginia and it's going to get worse and worse. And then when you have the Aubrey victory, which I uh, verdict that I thought was pretty logical. Absolutely. I thought that those people had no business uh, chasing an African-American jogger, much less doing it uh, with a shotgun. I don't know what happened with the altercation, but it wasn't like Rittenhouse. And but it also showed, it also showed, uh, Claude and I were talking about it earlier, uh, it also showed, you, got, you know, 11 white jurors in Southern yes, Georgia convicting oh, three white guys of killing a black guy. Yeah, so absolutely. I, that, 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 that's a kind of final answer back to the Rittenhouse situation. That's a very good point. That's, and, and I think most I think most of America agreed with the verdict, not because they political right. reasons, just logic. It was logical. And they saw it. It's vi- video it. stuff. Video. I mean video yeah. knows. My only objection to the verdict is that the crazy guy who followed, he didn't know the other two with a gun. And I didn't look at the actual sentencing, but when he followed with a car and he videoed it, and I don't know what his rule was, he was an ex- I guess he was charged as an accessory, but I don't know whether that was voluntary mans accessory to voluntary manslaughter. But I'm not sure that he actually wanted to kill Mr. Arvin. If I may, didn't the Rittenhouse thing come out well too? They took a stand. Yeah, great. Yeah, great. They, they said this. You know, they they retreated, but in order. You know, like like. Uh, Lee after Gettysburg, that they were, you know, they were fighting a racist, the person who crossed the state line to stir up trouble and was probably a white supremacist and so forth. And and that whole thing just gradually fell apart and their yeah. argument collapsed. Yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Conrad, Victor talked about with uh, his, his uh, 800 pound gorilla in the room. You have one we haven't talked about? Well, it, it, you, you guys are 
there. I mean, I am sitting up here completely uh, incapable of attaching one ounce of credence to the theory that anyone imagines they can cantilever Kamala Harris onto the Supreme Court. But is this something taken seriously down there? I mean, it would be a disaster of the most epochal proportions if they tried it. But do you think anyone's thinking of that? Yeah, but wait a minute, to put Kamala Harris on the Supreme Court? Yeah, I guess. Kick is that, cra- is that crazier than r- running her as president? Or Pete uh, Buttigieg? No, I, I keep coming back to this. I think uh, it, it has a political point. logic to it, Conrad. Sorry? It has a political logic to it. Well, you might be able to force out Steve Breyer, who I think is a good judge. But would, would the Senate confirm Harris to the Supreme I don't think so. She would be the first Supreme Court justice in modern times that's flunked the bar exam. So that might be something. <laughs> She's very unpopular. I mean, she, you know, remember the Democrat primary. She didn't go anywhere. She yeah, had a great I don't, I don't... opening night, and then, uh, and then, it, then it totally collapsed on her. Well, you, you remember when Mr. Nixon was having problems with that guy, uh, um, Amory, or whatever his name was, from South Carolina, and then G. Harold Carswell, Harold with two R's. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. His, his floor chairman said, well, you know, we don't have to have Supreme Court justice for brilliant people. We have to have some we need- people. Too brilliant. And somebody to represent the average. I think was what was it? Someone to represent the average intelligence of the of the average guy. Nixon improvised that, but yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you what's. I'll tell you what's uh, the, the big one in my room here. I'm in D.C. now, and uh, people are still buzzing about the Virginia victory. Glenn Glenn Youngkin. A uh, couple things. First of all, this guy was amateur. I guess, I mean, not a politician, but as skillful a campaign as you can imagine uh, in so many ways in, in what's become a blue state, Virginia. And um, his handling of, uh, of President Trump was, it seems to me, very deft and, uh, you know, just a, kind of an A plus performance, I think. And uh, I was talking to some governors at the RGA, the Republican Governors Association meeting in, in Scottsdale or Phoenix. And uh, it's just everybody wanted to talk to Youngkin. And, you know, is this a, is this a blueprint uh, for uh, for the future? Of course, you got to be as good and skillful as he is. Uh, it's like, you know, reading Tom Brady's blueprint and then going out on the field. But it's a big deal. He had the advantage of, of uh, his opponent running a completely incompetent campaign, you know, handing it over that the parents shouldn't decide what their students study. Yeah. Yeah. Annoying McAuliffe in your face personality, you know. Uh, I mean, he really had a model opponent, but it was a skillful campaign. So I, I think you're right, Bill. That he, that'll be a model for DeSantis to sort of copy that pattern of dealing with Trump. Kind of the same token, the opposite is somebody like Chris Christie, who I guess is going to yeah. run, and now he's created this candidacy where he's going to attack Trump nonstop. Yeah. Uh, on the on the theory that he destroyed Marco Rubio's candidacy, but he wasn't rewarded commiserately by Trump. But maybe if he destroys Trump's nomination, which he won't, then yeah. somebody who will be president will give him some kind of job. But it looks really pathetic what he's doing. He was talking and I think his book has sold 3000 copies. Yeah, no, and he's I, he's not that's not the way to handle Trump. But uh, let's say this about not Chris Christie, but his state. People have said you can talk about Youngkin all you want, but that thing in New Jersey was amazing. Uh, Republican almost won. I, yeah. you know, I follow this stuff, and I didn't know the guy's name, you know, to, till two days before, uh, and I, I'm still not sure I can remember it. But uh, you know, he almost won the thing, and you talk yeah. about a deep blue 
state, I mean, boy, it's, something's really stirring out there. But, but but there's nothing in that to encourage Christie, is there? He had no hand. In no, that. no, 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 no. Uh-uh. Well, do you, do you think, I mean, if Christie thinks that there's really a wane for him in picking up all the anti-Trump Republicans, I think he's out of his mind. Oh, yes. I, think, I, don't think, I don't think he thinks that at all. I think his attitude is, remember, he got on stage and within five minutes, he said to Marco Rubio, you say the same thing again and again and again. And all you do is give us this can because you can't think of anything. And that kind of destroyed Rubio. And then he, Trump looked at him and said, you know what? That guy helped me get rid of Rubio. And, I'll, and he clombed on to Trump. And I think he's thinking, I have no future. But if I go out as an attack dog and just bleed Trump every single day and make it acceptable to attack Trump, the eventual beneficiary of that will reward me with a cabinet post or something. And given his bleak well, alternatives, I don't think no, I, I don't I don't think he has other any other future. You remember in 2012, everyone asked him to run. Uh, Mrs. Reagan did, Rupert Murdoch yeah. did, Henry Kissinger did, and he didn't do it. That's he, yeah. If he'd run then, he could have won. It's one thing he's saying, though, that, that has some truth to it, which is, at least in my ears, and, you know, I was a big Trump supporter, which is uh, that, you know, you got to get past 2020. Um, I, think, I think that's right. And I talked to a uh, member of the cabinet very close to Donald Trump, who hears from him regularly, congratulates him on his appearances on TV, uh, but then says, but why didn't you bring up 2020? Why didn't you bring that up? And, um, I, I, you know, the fact that that former president is stuck on that, whatever the merits, um, I, I think doesn't serve him great. You guys yeah, he, agree he, or not? No, you're absolutely right. And he, he there's a way out of it for him. If he had sort of I was reading Molly Hemingway's, and although the title book is rigged, it's really not about computers communicating and stealing ballots. It's more about the lapses of allowing the left, using the courts and the bureaucracies to change state voting laws by fiat. And if Trump had just said, we were lax this election, when when Mark Zuckerberg put $415 million or something like that, or these laws were changed, it put us at enormous advantage, and we're not going to let that happen again. He'd be in much better shape rather than going back and saying, you know, I, I'm the actual doing the Stacey Abrams thing doesn't work after. Yeah. That. Yeah. And I think he has to keep the argument that the election was likely stolen alive because yeah. in the first place, it, in my opinion, it's right. I mean, with 40 million harvested ballots and absolutely inadequate verification procedures, you don't know who won. And absolutely. secondly, uh, you know, he, he's got to keep that up there. And secondly, Giuliani's sort of ragtag, uh, jolly hockey sticks running around complaining about individual ballots was allowed to discredit the whole Trump effort to taint the election. Sidney Powell, too. And, uh, oh, yeah. And, and Lynn, that, Wood, yeah. Lynn Wood and all that crap. Lynn Wood and that, that whole, thing, that Wood and that whole, and the Rittenhouse thing. That was unbelievable to me. Absolutely. So, but the 18 cases that went to the integrity of the election, the serious constitutional integrity of the election, where the Constitution had not been followed in having the state legislatures make the... No, state. I agree. 102 million people did not vote on election day. And the error rate in most states had been 0.3 to 0.4. Yeah. And it went 
uh, excuse me, it had been four point three to four percent, and it went down to point three to point five percent. So, yeah. Yeah. on a hundred million barrels of ballots by a, a magnitude of ten, that was a, you know three or four or five million votes that would have been thrown out had they voted that way in a normal absentee fashion. But when you have a hundred and two million absentee or early voting ballots, and the error rate goes way down, and the magnitude goes way yeah, up. Sure. Stanford University is very strange. Their law school actually wrote a very sophisticated left-wing article at the beginning of the COVID uh, lockdown. And the argument from the left was, if we have uh, mail-in ballots in California, we have to be very, very careful because it's prone to abuse. And they were afraid the right might organize and get people to mail in ballots. And they were, they went through everything. It's a good article. And uh, of course, okay. nobody mentions it today. But yeah, well, in addition to those numbers, addition to those numbers, I keep coming back to the Washington Post, believe it or not, which pointed out that 40,000 votes, if they had changed 40,000 votes yeah. in, you know, four different states, Trump would have won, even with what was going on that, that Victor just yeah. described. 40,000? I mean, that's, n- that's nothing. Um, it, but but yeah, Bill, it, it is understandable, not just for the president, but for people who were watching. And, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, Trump's way ahead in all these states. They wake up in the morning and he's lost. I said, what the hell? What, what happened here? So one it's, understands it's, it, but boy, they don't, people don't want to go back. They don't want to hear about, you know, I, I keep talking about Texas Tech and, and University of Virginia in the final, that was the championship, right, Claude? Unless you guys know. And I mean, they, the University of Virginia double dribbled and, you know, should have been game for Texas Tech. And I'm getting to something serious here. And, and But it wasn't. And I keep bringing it up. And people say, Bill, that was last year. Forget it. Get it. But, it, but Bill, on, in the same measure, if, if Trump doesn't keep that, that story alive, that there's a real chance the election was stolen. I think he's crazy to say I won the popular vote and I went. But that there's a real chance it was a tainted election with 40 million harvested ballots, no verification. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, then, then he's going to get into trouble on 1C, is, uh, or 1-6, as Peggy Noon and George Will call it, trying to make it like 9-11. Because the key is those people on that day were complaining legally about the fact that not only had had the election been stolen, not only had the real issues not been judged on their merits, but the entire judiciary had abdicated. They wouldn't hear these cases. And if you, you take do- all way, it makes it harder to defend one six. But he can do that. I think you're right, Conrad. And there's a way he can do that. He can say, I don't want anybody to have to go through what I went through. And on last election... Well, he started we, on the victory. He's yeah, on yeah. that theme. Yeah, I think he is. There's there were too many mail-in ballots and too little scrutiny, and the rejection rate uh, diminished as the ballots increased, and that's a prescription for disaster, especially when these changes yeah. were not made by state legislatures as mandated in the Constitution. And we got to make sure this never happens to anybody besides me. And he looks toward the future. He can get the idea that what happened was wrong, and he probably was ripped off without replaying the whole the whole thing will he run will he run i think so yeah i think i think he'll be nominated too i think well i don't think anyone is going to run until he's been heard from and i don't think anyone can beat him for the nomination and i don't think they have any chance of beating the republicans in the election and i think he knows all that i mean he calls oh you think he wins the general i don't know about that 
never underestimate the left and the money they have now and the zeal. They'll have to, to some degree, defend this present administration. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. No, no, they'll throw them out. No, no, it'll it'll be Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Donald Trump killed all. They don't care. They'll go hysterical because this is their this is their life raft. This is what they're living for. Oh, you'll hear the Trump to Biden references five to one. Yeah. Yeah. The media will say we have a chance to redeem ourselves. The left says nobody will remember all the disasters we inflicted on the American people because we're going to go. Whether it'll work or not is another question, but it will be nothing about Biden's record or not, not all anything about the damage he did. It'll just be about Donald Trump. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But the Republicans will hang it around their necks like a toilet seat anyway. They'll say this was the this was the Democratic administration that is. They don't think they'll be able to get the message out to the same degree. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not weighing in whether he should or not run. I'm just saying when he he will win the nomination and he will be a much stronger candidate than he was in 2020. But the Democrats will see this as a referendum on the whole Biden presidency, they'll say, you know what, Joe Biden stopped this monster and he can stop him again, no matter what happened. And what happened didn't matter in comparison to what will happen under Trump. Mark Zuckerberg will give a billion this time, not 450 million, 15 million. Well, I think he could win if he forgot, if he forgets talking about 2020, talks if, if about he, the issues and if he calms down a little bit, but. And he was, he know, had a good Conrad, appointment. Uh, you know, if he changes his persona a little bit, but they ain't going to happen. He's been given a gift. If, I just hope that they, he, he doesn't go back. I mean, he's been a gift by being barred from Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, and that's helped him. Yeah. And I, I, he, he, the last year, if you look at the people around him, the last year and a half, he was starting to see who he, whom he could trust and who not whom not, and he yeah. was a lot better. And he did a lot of re- a great things, and yes, uh, he, did. he did. And so a lot of people, I think, will say, "Well, maybe he'll be he'll hit the ground running, and we won't have you know Omarosa and those type people to deal with and every a psychodrama every day." And that's that's his uh, <laughs> that's his All promise. Right. All right. Well, and Omarosa, we'll leave it there. We've talked longer than I. <laughs> And scheduled, but thank you, gentlemen. Thank you okay. very, very much. Victor, Conrad, yeah. thank you, sir. That does it for today's show. Want to join the discussion? Email this show at scholars and sense podcast at gmail.com. Share the show with your family and friends. Subscribe, rate, review. For Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hansen, I am Bill Bennett, and we'll talk again soon.